Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 361 with Chris Westfall. If you've been waiting 356 episodes to hear from Chris again, well, that wait is finally over. Chris has got so much good stuff to share, and this time he's talking about the language of leadership, how that unfolds, how to speak it and listen it and communicate with it. Oh, so right. So you'll learn one, the three ways that people listen to each other, two, two you phrases that will help you get what you want, and three, the thought that makes the impossible possible. So if you'd like to take a look at the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced here, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F361. Now here's a scoop on Chris. Chris Westfall is a national pitch champion and an award-winning MBA instructor at a top 20 program. He's the official pitch coach at the fifth largest university in the USA, where his strategies have helped raise over 30 million bucks for student startups. He's also pitch coached for many folks who appeared on Shark Tank and more. He's originally from Chicago, but currently resides in Houston, Texas with his wife and two daughters. And he is an avid supporter of the performing and visual arts. So thanks to Chris for spending some time with us and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Working remotely can be a challenge, especially for teams that are new to it. How do you deal with your work environment being the same as home while staying connected and productive? And then there's your newest coworker, the cat. Well, your friends at Trello have been powering remote teams globally for almost a decade. At a time when teams must come together more than ever to solve big challenges, Trello's here to help. Trello, part of Atlassian's collaborative suite, is an app with an easy-to-understand visual format plus tons of features that make working with your team functional and just plain fun. Trello keeps everyone organized and on the same page, helping teams communicate, focus, and connect. Teams of all shapes and sizes at companies like Google, Fender, Costco, and likely your favorite neighborhood coffee shop all use Trello to collaborate and get work done. Try Trello for free and learn more at Trello.com. That's T-R-E-L-L-O dot com. Trello dot com. Here is Chris. Chris, welcome back to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Pete, I am super excited to be here. Thanks for having me again. Oh, I'm so excited to have you again. You know, we've come a long way since episode five, your first appearance. And you've also come a long way in your career when you used to be a professional stuntman. I don't think we covered that last time. Let's hear the story. Well, it's absolutely true. I was a professional stuntman. And in fact, Pete, that was what I had to stand up in front of my entire MBA class and, and tell them, much to everyone's chagrin and surprise, because they asked us in a prompt, they said, tell us what was your last full-time job before you came back to, to graduate school? And everybody <laughs> is standing up there saying, well, I, you know, I was a professional engineer, and, you know, or I worked at a big four consulting firm, you know, and that kind of thing. And then it's my turn, and I get to stand up and say, well, I was a professional stuntman. And everybody's like, how did he get in this room? <laughs> and Pete, quite frankly, I was asking myself the same thing. Now, look, I, I studied for the GMAT, and I had, you know, good grades and all that kind of stuff. But my background was was wildly different than what I, I wanted to do. And maybe maybe folks listening to to this podcast are thinking about a transformation for themselves in, in their career. And I tell you, for me, going from the green, green room, right, being a stuntman and, and trading fake punches to going into the boardroom and, and really wrestling with some some real business issues was the the career transition that I had to make. But I was the I was part of a stunt show at a local amusement park. I was part of the Batman, 
stunt show, Pete. Mm. And I, I wasn't Batman, but I was the host of the show. And then I, I played one of the villains in, uh, in, the, in the stunt show. Yeah. So as a stuntman, he was in sort of live shows as opposed to like film and TV. Right. Okay. Interesting. Which means it's much more dangerous. Yeah. Uh, much more risky because you're doing it live and the pyrotechnics are live. And if you miss a punch and hit somebody in the mouth or something, I mean, it's happening live right there. So um, I, 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 I learned a lot about, uh, about risk and about calculated risk and about safety and, and also about uh, capabilities. Because when you have to – and again, this was in a, a southern state. I was performing in you know, it was 110 degree heat and doing stuff outside in front of 3,000 people um, every day. It, it, you, know, you learn a few things in that kind of environment as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Well, that's so cool. You've got a fun history and you're doing fun work recently engaging with the Navy SEALs. That's awesome. It seems like they always get the best people. So kudos <laughs> on that get. That's awesome. And uh, you've got a recent book, Leadership Language. What's this all about? Well, Leadership Language is a look at how people can change the conversation and change their results. So for folks who are looking to be awesome at their job, being awesome means leading others, whether that means that you are a leader in title and you actually have direct reports or you are someone who is aspiring to lead or maybe just to influence your boss to, to give you a raise or to buy into your ideas. All of those objectives, they all start with your story and the way that you communicate. And that's, that's what leadership language is all about. It's about communication. It's about connection. And it's about leading across the generations so that, that your best ideas can, can come to life. Mm-hmm. That's good. Well, so can you unpack some of that for us in terms of what's often the holdup when it comes to doing that connecting and inspiring? Well, a big part of communication and connection is listening. And this may sound counterintuitive because I mean, I, you know, I'm like you, Pete, I talk for a living, but I also listen and I help my clients to learn how to listen and to be receptive. And when you understand how to leverage listening, it's the first step in leadership. And I'll tell you why, because none of us is as smart as all of us. And the person who thinks they have all the answers and, and doesn't need to listen, uh, that's, that's the first mistake. Mm-hmm. So I talk about in the book that there, there are three ways to listen. And the first is to listen to affirm. In other words, to listen to confirm something you already know, like, like oh, I, I think what he's saying, I think Stephen Covey said that and probably said it better. You know, to confirm something that you already know, that's one way to listen. But when you listen that way, you're, you're really just listening to make yourself feel better about your education or your experience. You're not really moving the conversation forward. The second way to listen is the way lawyers listen, and that's to listen to defend. Mm-hmm. In other words, you're taking a position. You, you know what I mean? You're taking a position. No matter what comes out of your mouth, I'm going to take, you know, it's, it's, it's the discussion across the aisle in politics. It's the, you know, if you don't see things the way that I do, I'm going to take a defensive posture. And when you take a defensive posture, by nature, you close yourself off to new ideas. And if the leadership conversation is about innovation, is about changing uh, the status quo and challenging the status quo and making things better, you have to identify with the third way to listen, and that is to listen to discover, which hopefully is the way that people are listening to this podcast, is to discover something new, is not to affirm something you already know, but to find that, that new thing, that next thing, that discovery that's going to propel your career forward, that's going to make you have a greater impact, and that's going to make you more awesome at your job. Mm-hmm. You know, I like that little framework there, and it reminds me of some of my coaching training about different kinds of listening. And I guess like this starts, I guess, in a way, these three forms of listening are, first of all, presuming that you're paying attention to the words coming out of the other person's mouth. <laughs> 
right? <laughs> you know, so that's a, a decent start, actually, and not something you can just assume, you know, in the age of everyone's got their smartphone or, or even just they're hungry for lunch, you know, <laughs> like their attention may not even be on the words. But once they are, I think that's a nice reality check in terms of if you're sort of thinking about yourself and your situation relative in a conversation, you would say, wait a minute, what am I really doing here? Mm. And I suppose there may be times when you need to listen to defend, like, you know, you are a litigant <laughs> in, a, right. in a criminal or civil suit situation, but certainly listen to discover sounds a lot more fun and useful in the majority of contexts. Well, and I think that's what you've been sharing with folks on uh, on this podcast. And if I, you know, if I could just pay you a compliment, the discoveries that you've shared with others and the guests that you bring on, that's that's where the value comes from. And for the folks who are listening to this, think about where your value comes from. And it can really start with being being a good listener and taking in information and then sharing that information in a way that's compelling. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, so it starts with the listening. And then what would you say is the next step? Well, the next step, and this is this is counterintuitive, but if you want to be awesome at your job and create a greater impact for yourself, you got to take your attention off of yourself. Because if you're if you're talking to someone, you're talking to your boss, someone that you wish to influence, you wish to have an impact in some way, and you're thinking, how am I doing? It, it's like it's like playing a game, looking at the scoreboard, mm-hmm. or or running a race while you're looking at the clock. The real game is. How is the person right in front of you doing? How, how is your boss doing? How is your team doing? How are you making them the hero of your story? And so many times when we have objectives for ourselves, we, we begin by focusing on, you know, well, I need, I need this raise. I need this to happen. I need this idea to come forward. But what happens when you flip the script and you think about what your ideas, your raise, your promotion, whatever the case may be, means to the person right in front of you? And when you phrase your goals and desires in terms of the impact that it means for others, you exhibit the four words that represent, in my mind, one of the key leadership skills. And, and here are the four words. I've thought this through. I remembered it from last time. I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, wait a minute. Are those the four words? There's a contraction in there. Is that five? Four there and a <laughs> I thought this through. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this time, I in, in the book Leadership Language, I talk about not only saying I thought this through, but I thought this through for you. Mm-hmm. Because leaders look in the direction of impact. They talk in terms of outcomes and they think about impact and impact not just for themselves, but for the people that they that they serve. And could you give us maybe some examples of sort of non-I've thought this through communication and what that sounds like versus, oh, you know, having taken it to the next level, I have thought this through communication and what that might sound like. The communication that thinks it through, you're, you're actually looking, th- th- there's one word you can look for and it's a pronoun. It's the pronoun you. If people use you language, what that means is, is that they're not just talking about how I'm very customer focused or I, you know, I really pay attention to service. They're starting with the most important person, which when you use the word you, you make the second person first. Mm-hmm. So when people are only talking about themselves, that, that's your clue. When, when you're using words like I, me, my, we, our, you know, you're only focused on your own objectives. What about the objectives of the people who are right in front of you? What, what are the puts and takes for your boss, your board of directors, your investors, your team? And how can you express that using you language? And I talk about it at length in the book and show several, several different examples. Because it, it's one thing to say, let me tell you what you don't know about engineering. Well, that's a non-starter. Mm-hmm. Let, let me present myself as the expert. Also a non-starter. Also instantly exhausting. 
Mm-hmm. But when you say something like, you know how, like if, like if I say to you, you know how, when you're in Evanston in the winter, it's going to be cold. And you know, you're instantly, you're like, well, of course it's cold in Evanston in the winter. I know that, of course. Mm-hmm. But what I'm doing, and this is a very simple example. I apologize. It's so simple. But what I'm doing is I'm acknowledging your expertise. I'm creating common ground. I'm not trying to show off what I know. I'm trying to demonstrate what we know together. And that's the power in you language. Yeah, you know, and I like that. What's so funny is it's almost like a Jedi mind trick as you say it. It's like I am poised to hear the next thing you say. It was like, well, yeah. It was like, <laughs> it was like totally, right. I'm right with you. So where are we going now? <laughs> well, that's the whole idea. If it comes from a place of sincerity without an agenda on it, it's a place of connection. If, if you put a spin on it, then it's called manipulation. But what you're looking for is a reason for people to say yes, because here's the thing. Common ground is what creates uncommon results. And you want people to see that commonality instead of your expertise. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I'm with you when it comes to the agenda. You're right. Like people can sense if you're trying to tie them down to a position or sort of box them into something using a series of Socratic questions. And we had uh, Chris Voss, the FBI agent uh, negotiator at his book, which is awesome, Never Split the Difference, talking about how, yes, makes people kind of nervous. Like, what am I committing to? What's going on here? But when it's kind of innocuous, and as you mentioned, without an agenda, and it's sort of like, well, yeah, okay, sure. You know, understood, acknowledged, we're on the same page. Where are we going now? Exactly. And that connection is really key to any leadership initiative that you wish to undertake and, and also to creating greater collaboration with, within your team, within your organization. Well, could you maybe give us another example of applying the you-know-how in sort of a workplace scenario and how that will come across way better you know, than an alternative, which may be a common mistake? In order to do that, I need to have like an, an objective for the workplace. But look, I think I can do it, Pete. I think I can. Think about how you can create something that, that everyone in the workplace is going to say yes to. And, and you can use a you-know-how. The other, the other one that you can use to introduce it is doesn't it seem like, mm-hmm. you know, doesn't it seem like we need to make a, a, a change in, in some regard here? Um, <laughs> I'm going to struggle with this because I don't have a necessarily a workplace agenda, but, but I... Oh, sure thing. We were looking to convince the boss to uh, let us work from home, you know, one day uh, a week or one day a month or something. Doesn't it seem like office space is kind of at a premium here in the office? And, you know, doesn't it seem like the investment that we just made in the video conferencing software? I mean, we should really take advantage of it. Oh, I love it. You're like a pitch champion or something, Chris. (laughs) Pete, I I am a professional. Don't try this at home. (laughs) But that's that's the idea is is turning it into something that that people see. Because here's the thing. People think sometimes that that a conversation needs to be adversarial or if i have a point of view that that it's going to be opposed to someone else and and that can make you hesitate that can make you stop in fact you know the harvard business review there was an article that i read that says that 69% of managers are uncomfortable talking to employees for any reason <laughs> say let's hear that again 69% of managers are uncomfortable I'll send you the link. talking I'll send you the link. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's your whole life is talking to employees. Do, do they mean their own direct reports or like any employees? Please explain. 
for any reason. Okay. This is the thing that was so startling about this. I got to send you the link. <laughs> this is nuts. Here. Okay, well, we'll definitely link to this in the show notes. But yeah, everyone, everyone, sure, everyone wants, they have to talk to their employees, but the survey says they don't like it. And do we know why? Do we know why? Yeah. That's a great question. I'd have to pull up the article to tell you what they say. But it, it as I recall, Pete, it's very broad. It's very general. I mean, like again, for any reason. So it's not just performance reviews or corrective action. Uh, I think that the, maybe the survey was purposely left very broad. And maybe that's why they got that number. That's nearly 70%. I mean, it's over two-thirds of managers are uncomfortable talking to employees. And what this points to is that there's never been a greater need for us to take a look at the way that we communicate. And if our focus is on a conversation that we believe is going to be confrontational, it's going to be something that we should fear, well, look at look at the common ground. What is it that you have in common with your boss, with your employees, with your team? What is that shared objective? Because that shared objective is is called success. And does it have to be a fight? Sometimes. Sometimes there is going to be something that you need to def- defend. There is going to be a time to to have that hard conversation. But does it have to start there? And and if you say, well, yes, it does. Uh, my second question would be, why? Yeah, that's great. Okay, so we talked about the listening and we talked about the positioning things effectively in terms of, you know, how or doesn't it seem like. So what are some of your other top best practices in terms of nailing this leadership language stuff? Well, I think that one of the things that is key for people to understand about leadership language is where leadership really lives. And one of the things that I went through, Pete, as I was writing this book, as, as I was doing my research and reading what others had said and all the gurus, what they had to say about leadership. And it left me feeling, left me feeling less than. It left me feeling mm. like, you know, I, I don't have the same skills as that guy that landed that plane on the Hudson River. I don't have the same skills as, you, you know, these, these various leaders in business and stuff like that. But I looked at that and I said, no, wait a minute. How is how is it that I don't have enough when I've been able to create and lead teams all over the world? How is it that I don't have enough when I've been able to lead my clients to help them to find over $50 million in investment capital and, and coach my clients onto Shark Tank and Dragon's Den and Shark Tank Australia? I mean, how am I able to, to do this if I'm so much, uh, there's so much lacking mm-hmm. in who I am? And here's what I discovered, Pete, is that Leadership is not something that's out there. It's not something that's reserved for for those guys or those gals or those folks that went to that Ivy League school or that went to some other college. It's it's not about that. Leadership lives inside of all of us. And for everyone who's listening to the sound of my voice, if it looks that leadership is something that is outside of you, look again. Because leadership language is the language of the heart and it is a language that is sincere and authentic, and it requires you to get clear on the things that you want, not only for yourself, but for the people that you serve. And one of the one of the key takeaways that I can that I can share with you is, and I talk about this in the book, is to think about the people around you as your clients. And I don't mean clients that you that you know you're trying to sell something to you or you know that you're consulting with your clients or something like that. I mean clients as the people on whom your success depends. Mm-hmm. They're the people on your team. They're the, they're the people on your board of directors. They are the investors in front of you who can fuel your idea or pull the plug on it. And that is a very useful focus because when you have intelligent people, I mean, and, and I'm assuming the folks listening to, the, to this podcast are intelligent people, you, you don't – when they understand how things work – 
then they understand how to make things work for them. And looking inside of yourself at that internal place where leadership lives and and taking a moment to really question your thinking, because if, if you're thinking, ah, leadership, I don't know. I don't know if I have those capabilities. Let, let me tell you, you do. Because remember, when, when you were in third grade, did you think, do I have the capabilities necessary to lead these people in a game of tag? <laughs> no. No. You just play the game. But, you know, we grow up, we have responsibilities. We lose that sense of playing the game. But leaders play the game. Leaders play to win. And, and that's not to say that they, they're trying to game people or manipulate them. That's not what I'm pointing at. But I'm talking about having fun. I'm talking about enjoying life and playing the game of life so that you can create the impact that you want without, without a lot of the other stuff on it. Does that make any sense at all? Yeah, I hear you. So talk about the leadership being internal and it's sort of the language of the heart and you want to be coming from a place that's sincere, authentic, and clear. Well, I'm with you that, one, you can just sort of chuck aside the notion that, oh, I don't have leadership. I don't have those capabilities. It's sort of, right. you got it inside if you're accessing it. And so maybe we can dig in a bit in terms of what are some of the roadblocks and how does one go about accessing sort of potent levels of sincerity, authenticity, and clarity? Well, let me point to a couple of things. First of all, a quote from Tim Ferriss, who said, what might this look like if it were easy? Mm-hmm. And I think, and that's from Tribe of Mentors. And I think that that's a very powerful quote because so many times we, we look at situations in, in, our, in our jobs and in our careers and we get lost in our thinking and every, everything looks, it looks impossible. It looks tough. Sarah and accounting won't listen to me. You know, it looks impossible. But Tim Ferriss says, what would it look like if it were easy? And I wanted to explore this idea of an effective approach to very, very difficult conversations. So I found someone who was in an incredibly difficult conversation. Uh, excuse me, I said conversation. Mm-hmm. It was a real pain. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> Always in, in your side. It hurts. I'm trying to listen, but it hurts. <laughs> no, he was in a, he was an incredibly difficult situation. So I was, I was speaking to someone in an incredibly difficult situation. His name is Murray Wilcox, and he is an extreme surfer. This guy, okay. he lives in Cape Town, South Africa, and he goes off the coast of Africa searching for waves that are 15 to 25 feet high. All now, right. I, I know, I'm, I'm not a surfer myself, but I know from what I've read that even a 10-foot wave can weigh as much as 400 tons. So a 10-foot wave can kill you. So Murray, my friend Murray, he's on top of a 15, 20, 25-foot wave. And I ask him, Murray, when you're at the top of that wave, it's, it literally is a matter of life and death. What is going through your mind? Because I want to know, what is the mindset mm-hmm. that allows you to survive in this extreme, incredibly difficult situation? What is your mindset, Murray? Here's what he said. My mindset is nothing. If you want to know what's on my mind, there's nothing on my mind. I'm, I'm not plugging in some attack pattern. I am not trying to maneuver. I'm simply in the moment. And I thought about that for a second. I went, well, of course you are because you don't know whether that wave's going to break left or break right. You don't know what is going to show up and the only way that you can survive. In fact, the only way that you can be at your best is when you have as little on your mind as possible. All right. That's cool. Certainly. So that is powerful with regard to 
being able to respond and react appropriately, you're not getting sort of caught up in your own stuff mm. and mental chatter, you know, having some clarity and presence and awareness in that moment. So that's cool. So can you tell me more about this notion of how this question, you know, what might this look like if it were easy, creates transformations? It really does, Pete. And and the question that, that also shows up, that kind of points in this direction is this one. How big is a problem when you're not thinking about it? It's intriguing because it's sort of like the immediate answer is, well, it's like it doesn't even exist. But then the implication is not, I imagine, oh, so then just ignore them <laughs> and you'll be fine. But here's the thing that it points to. It's not ignore your problems and, and you'll be fine. I'm not trying to say ignorance is bliss, although it may be. But the point is this, consider the impact that our thinking has. And when Murray, my friend, is at the top of a wave, what he's trying to think about is as little as possible. He's not plugging in an attack pattern. And when we're not thinking about our problems, they seem to cease to exist. What points towards this idea that our our thinking is what is creating our experience. Mm Mm-hmm. And that is what, and, and, and by the way, if that's not true, then how can you be super busy and not feel stressed or not really have a lot on your plate and yet feel extremely stressed? Yeah. If it comes from our external circumstances, then we should all go out and try to, you know, self-medicate or, you know, buy toys until those feelings go away. But you know, as well as I do, that when you've, you've got the toys and you've created the life that you've dreamed of, happiness may or may not follow. Right. Well, why is that? And this is one of the, the aspects that I point to is the role that, that thought plays in people being able to access their authentic leadership skills and to really be at their best. And what I learned from, from Murray and from others that I feature in the book is that this, this idea of creating a mindset for success, which so many people are chasing, and, and here it comes, Pete. I mean, call me a liar if you want, but – That idea of chasing a mindset is actually the exact last thing that we need to be doing, especially when the stakes are high. To be at our best, we need to be in the moment and we need to be able to access who we are. And if you think about it, you know, you think about your favorite sports teams, the players that you admire in any any game, whatever that game might be, the people who are at their best, they aren't following the playbook per se. They're reacting in the moment to what's in front of them. Mm -hmm. And that is something that is a capability that's not reserved for great athletes or extreme surfers off the coast of South Africa. That's something that's inside you and me. And when our thinking quiets down, we have the opportunity to, to see it. And there's not a six-step process to make your thinking quiet down. It's, it's actually one step. It's simply seeing that your thinking is just there, that your thinking is just thinking. And, and here it comes. Just because a train of thought shows up doesn't mean you have to ride that train. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Boy, there's a lot here. There's a lot here. So what I'm gathering here is that question, what might this look like if it were easy, isn't so much a prompt to spark a clever process innovation or new approach to doing something so much as a reminder that no, no, it's just your brain and the way you're thinking that's making it hard. And you could choose to let go of that at any moment. I could tell you story after story of things that looked impossible. Things that, you know, if you'd have caught me at a moment in time and said that this never could have happened. This book at one time looked impossible. I thought there's no way. There's no way that I can do this. There's no way that I can write this. Well, then well then what changed? Well, what's funny is that when my thinking settled down and I said, well, what might this look like if it were easy? What would happen if I looked at this in a different way? What would this look like if it weren't impossible? 
is there another way of looking at this? If that sounds like a process, I'm saying it wrong because really all, all I'm doing is identifying that I have some thinking about a subject. Mm-hmm. And it's that thinking that colors it. You know, as I think it was Shakespeare that said, there's nothing neither good nor bad in this world, but our thinking makes it so. Yeah, I hear you. So now you mentioned that it's not a six-step process, it's a one-step process. You're just noticing that you got some thoughts and that you don't have to ride the train. If folks have a little bit of difficulty with a train of thought, they always can't seem to resist hopping aboard, you know, and taking every train where it cares to go. What do you recommend for these folks? Well, first of all, I would recommend that they hear me say this. Me too. I'm the same way. Mm-hmm. I'm a planner. That's the way that we are as human beings. We are wired to to plan and to, and to think things through and to, and to roil around and to create scenarios in our minds so that we can do the mental equivalent of working through pie, mm-hmm. you know, trying to solve for pie. And you know that, that it just keeps going and it keeps going and it keeps going. So if it's true that our thinking is defining our experience, the key is to simply identify that the thing that's making that look impossible, whatever that situation might be, it's just a thought. And a thought can't hurt you. Thought is fleeting. And, you know, in a few minutes, another one's going to, or a few seconds even, another thought's going to come along. I mean, have you ever had something where you're like so frustrated and, you know, just going crazy? And then five minutes later, you're like, what was that all about? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where did it go? Where did it go? I mean, the situation is still the same. That guy still, he did cut you off in traffic. But now there's a great song on, Chris. <laughs> exactly. And now we're experiencing something different. And, you know, I think that that, that is also a message for how to be awesome at your job is to, to remember that as intense as things might be, you can step back at any time. You can, and, and you don't have to go to a beautiful part of the world. You don't have to jump on an airplane. You don't have to go for a hike or go skiing or whatever your flavor is of, of getaway. What you're looking for is never more than one thought away. And I talk about that in, in leadership language and, and it's understanding the nature of thought. There's no process. It's just, it's an understanding. When you have that understanding, you see that that reset, that place where you need to be is never more than one thought away. And often taking a look in the direction of what this might look like if it were easy can point you towards a new perspective and ultimately new results. Mm-hmm. You know, I remind of another question I picked up. I think it was from Tony Robbins, which was, you know, what's great about this? When you're freaking out about something that just seems like the worst and you say, oh, you know, I guess it's pretty great that I'm working with an opportunity so big that this is my worry. And, and could I only imagine, you know, having opportunities so big and worries this big you know, five years ago in my career or in whatever context? Sure. Absolutely. It's like it's like the old uh, saying, you know, how would you feel about having to pay one hundred thousand dollars a year and taxes. <laughs> and Pete, I would say I'll take that all day long because you know how much money I would be making? Oh, yes. More than 300000 You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you would think, yeah. More than, more than six shekels, which is what I have now. So, no, but you see what I'm saying? It's, it, sometimes success or fear of success is what stops us. Again, the question, what would this look like if it were easy? What if, would it be okay with you if the thing that is so scary was actually just a thought? And if it's just a thought, then a thought could change. And when thoughts change and new thoughts show up, guess what? New perspective, new results, new opportunities. And, and the blockage, the thing that's stopping you, the thing that's holding you back goes away. Because here's the thing, Pete. I mean, if something's holding you back from something that you want, you have to ask yourself what you're doing to enable that situation to exist. Mm-hmm. And so what's intriguing about this is that 
you're a communications expert and uh, you've done all this research and dug into it. And so it seems like what you're saying is the heart of having these connecting, inspiring conversations isn't so much about following a certain framework or a process or protocol so much as just getting your brain in a place where you're cool going there. Yeah. Because again, leadership is not an external journey. It's not a place that you visit or that other people know better than you. Leadership is something that, and again, the world according to Chris, this is the way that I see it. Leadership is something that exists inside of all of us. And when we understand the nature of the human condition and the way that our minds work, what we can do is create a natural enthusiasm, that contagious engagement that you're talking about that, you know, wouldn't, what would happen if this were really great? How would I, how would I approach this situation? Uh-huh. And that's what, that's what comes through when, when our thinking dies down. And that's a big part of the work that I do in, in my consulting and my coaching is to take a look at the obligations and labels and, and the way that things look which which is really it's it's our thinking it's the way that we approach the world and those thoughts can appear so real and so restrictive i know cuz i have them too i'm wired the same way i'm talking about myself but actually i'm talking about all of us because this this is at at its at its core leadership language is a book about human nature and how to tap into that that potential that's inside of all of us and when we understand the way that we work, the, the way that things work, the idea is, is that you can make things work for you and for the people that you care about, the people that you wish to influence. And, and that's really the nature of the connection and authenticity that's at the heart of leadership language. That's awesome. Well, Chris, tell me, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? Well, I just want to make sure that people are aware that uh, of the resource that's available on my YouTube channel. And I don't know if that's this is the time to talk about that or if we want to hit that in the in the end, but it's youtube.com forward slash Westfall Online. And I've got over 200 videos on there and it's a great resource that people can check out if they're curious to learn more. Well, beautiful. Thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Something that I find inspiring. I'm going to go with Nelson Mandela. It always looks impossible until it's done. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Uh, favorite study and bit of research is the Harvard Business yeah. Review study that you'll find in the link down uh, down here on the page, wherever this, this podcast will be located. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I don't know. That just makes me chuckle a little bit. <laughs> I'm uncomfortable talking to employees about anything. <laughs> The thing that I love is mind-boggling research that that points towards something and you're like, no way can that be the numbers. Uh, Helen Langer is another one. She's a Harvard researcher that did, um, she did research into the nature of mindset uh, as well as the nature of agreement and stuff like that. So Helen Langer has done some interesting uh, stuff as well with some numbers that are startling. Um, but you'll have to check that out to find out. Oh, sure. Well, you don't have to drop us the specific number, but if you could just tell us, for example, crazy number blank. Is there something that strikes you? I'll give it to you real quick. All right. So Helen Langer and a team of researchers, they want to know what makes people say yes. They were looking at agreement and compliance. So here's what they did. They go into libraries, and this was a few years back, Pete. This was a few years ago. They go into libraries where people are lined up to use the copy machine, and they walk in, and they say, excuse me, do you mind if I cut in line? I have to make five copies. What percentage of the time do you think people said, yeah, sure, go ahead. You can make copies. What do you think? I think this was ringing a bell. That one was small because they were missing a key ingredient, Chris. Which was? The word because. You're exactly right. You're, you're on it. 
you're on it. Actually, the number was it, it wasn't small. It was actually kind of surprising. It was a majority. It was 60 percent of the people said, OK, yeah, sure. You got copies. But you're exactly right, Pete. They went back in and they offered a reason and it changed the statistic from 60 percent to 94 percent of the time. People said, yeah, sure, you can make copies. And they introduced a number of other variables as well around this idea of saying the word because and offering a reason. But the key takeaway is that people want to know not just your why, but your because. You know, it's like that great book, Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Love that book. But, you know, I read that book and I'm like, well, what's step two? Mm-hmm. And step two, according to Helen Langer and her researchers, because. And offering a reason can be the key to being more persuasive. So anyway, that's another little piece of research that I, that I find very interesting. Well, that's good. Thank you. And how about a favorite book? Uh, favorite book I love to sell is Human by Daniel Pink. I also really like Impossible to Ignore by Carmen Simon. Oh, yeah, we had her on the show. She's wonderful. Did you? Mm-hmm. Oh, she's terrific. And I, I quote her um, in leadership language quite a bit. She's, she is terrific. Really like her, her perspective. Certainly. And how about a favorite tool? Now, if I say iPhone, that's just too broad, isn't it, Pete? Well, you know, we've heard it a time or two before, Chris. So I, I might challenge I mean, you to uh, up the game a little bit. Maybe there's a particular app or innovative way you use your iPhone. Uh, sure. Well, let me say this. The app that I like the most is probably Visita, which is like Calendly. It's a scheduling tool and it allows people to uh, connect with me and see my calendar online and set up times for us to to have a conversation. And as a guy who is all about helping people to change the conversation, anything that can help me to create that conversation for others is a is a very useful tool. And what I find awesome about you, if I could just brag for a moment, is that that's just like wide open on your website. So it's like anyone can go up and, you know, schedule some time with Chris, which I think is massively generous of you. And I don't know, maybe it's the cynic or the business strategist in me was like, a decent percentage of those must convert into paid gigs or else how could you invest that time in that way? Sure. It's true, Pete. But I'll tell you what, I mean, like I say, I'm all about the conversation. And isn't that what we... Uh, well, maybe not for every business, but certainly for mine, I'm very interested in a time to talk. And so I, I take the time. And if, if people want to, and you can pepper me with whatever you want for 30 minutes, uh, you can, you can ask me anything and That's I'll amazing. do my best to, to tell you what I can try to help. Yeah. What a guy. Look, leadership is about service. Life is about service. What we're doing here is to try to serve others and help them be more awesome at their job. So, I, I mean, that's my way of, of serving. I can't heal the sick, but I can help with communication. That's awesome. Well, it's appreciated and thank you. And I encourage folks to check that out. It's pretty cool. So that's the tool. And how about a habit? A habit that I have is to make sure that every day is different, that I don't fall into a pattern. And I'll tell you why, Pete, and I'll tell you why this is so important. I'm not just trying to be kicky here. Imitation is not innovation. And every day I'm looking to discover something new and to create something new and to be better than I was yesterday. And that means that today can't look uh, like like yesterday. And that also points towards um, resourcefulness for me, uh, being able to not get locked into a pattern to make sure that my thinking is, is expansive. So my habit is not to get trapped into a habit. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it's so meta. <laughs> I know it. I know it. Sorry to be so meta. <laughs> And tell me, is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? They retweet it and they quote it back to you. This idea that where you are is not who you are is something that seems to resonate with folks. And, and that means that where you are in, in your life, uh, your relationships, your career, that, that doesn't define you. It may look like it does. 
Uh, it may look like that. That is the box that you are in. But I mean, if you think about it, Drew Brees is the, the top passer of all time in the NFL. And his first play as a professional quarterback, he was sacked and he fumbled. And from those humble beginnings, he's, he's become the greatest passer in the history of the NFL. And whether you are someone who just got sacked and fumbled or you're a stuntman, where you are is not who you are. It does not define you. And pointing people towards that, that internal resourcefulness and that, that internal journey is part of the work of leadership language. And one of the things that I think people always need to remember, where you are is not who you are. Beautiful. And Chris, you mentioned the YouTube channel. Any other key places folks might go if they want to reach out or get in touch? Well, you can find me on the gram, Instagram. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter. Everything is Westfall Online. And my last name is like the direction in the season, Westfall. Mm -hmm. And that's also where you can find me on LinkedIn. So Westfall Online. And my website is westfallonline.com. So those are some of the resources that are out there. Perfect. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Say the most honest thing that you can. Mm -hmm. I'm not suggesting you walk into your boss's office and go, you know what? You need to lose weight. I'm not suggesting that. But think about the most honest thing that you can say. I want to challenge people to have the conversations that, that need to take place to face whatever fears might be holding you back from the thing that you need to say and do. And take that action because the only way that you change your results is is by taking the action that brings your story to life. And if you've got great ideas, take the first step. And that first step, 99 times out of 100, is a conversation. A conversation with someone that can help you to bring your ideas to life. Say the most honest thing that you can and see what happens. Beautiful. Well, Chris, this has been a lot of fun. I hope you have a smashing success with the Leadership Language book and uh, many engaging and empowering and lucrative conversations flowing through VCTA on your website. And yeah, just good luck with all you're up to here. Well, thank you, Pete. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. And you're, you're a great interviewer and great questions. And I, again, thanks for having me back on the show. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate Chris's wisdom and I really appreciate our sponsors. Check them out. I got such a kick out of how Chris suggested you use those magic words, you know how, and then lay out something that they are going to know how and to sort of instantly get the, yep, okay, we're on the same page. And you've articulated their position, which was a huge point that we learned from our FBI friend, Chris Voss, over in episode 311, which was incidentally one of the highest engagement level episodes of them all. So you might want to check that one out. Really fun because he's got cool FBI kidnapping stories, of course. But he says that if you can get the other party to say, that's right. It works a lot better than a yes in the sense of, are you trying to pin me down or tie me down? Can we do something with that yes? You get them to say, that's right. And what a quick and easy and convenient formula that Chris Westfall has suggested here. You know how, or doesn't it seem like, so a great script to have in your back pocket and to trot out anytime you're trying to get some shared rapport, some common ground as a foundational base for your subsequent communication. So handy there. Hope you dug that and more. If you want to check out the show notes or transcript or links to items that we've referenced here, and there's a bundle of them this time, that's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F361. And if you haven't already, I hope you'll push the subscribe button. And if you do so, you'll catch our next guest. It's Marianne Karench. She's talking about sticky words and persuasive communication and more. Until next time, peace. 
Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 